Christ, oh joy, oh why joy, joy in the Lord, or oh, now joy, oh why joy, joy in the Holy Ghost, joy, oh why joy, joy in the Lord. Now don't let nobody steal your joy. Don't let nobody steal your joy. Don't let nobody steal your joy. Joy in the Lord. Oh, Jay. Oh, why joy? Joy in the Holy Ghost. Jay. Oh, why joy? Joy in the Lord. Or oh, now, Jay. Oh, why joy? Joy in the Holy Ghost. Jay. Oh, why Joy in the Lord. No, don't let nobody steal your joy. Don't let nobody steal your joy. Don't let nobody steal your joy. Joy in the Lord. Amen. Let's keep it in the same key and let's sing that song, Meeting in the Air. We just want to welcome you this evening and uh, it's good to be back with you guys. So uh, let's just uh, enter in and we'll sing a few songs here before we start the service. You have heard of little Moses in the bulrush, and you have heard of Phyllis, David, and his sleep. You have heard the story told of dreaming Joseph, and of Jonah and the well you often see. There are many, many others through the Bible. I should like to meet them all, I do declare. By and by the Lord will surely let us meet them at that meeting in the air. Oh, there is going to be a meeting in the air in that sweet, sweet by and and I am going to meet you, meet you over there in that home beyond the skies. Such singing you will hear, never heard by mortal ear. It will be glorious, I do declare. And God's own Son will be the leading one at that in the air, many things will there be missing in that meeting. For the mourner's bench will have no place at all, and there will never be a sermon preached to sinners. For the sinner had refused to heed the call, and there will be no mourning over wayward loved ones. There will be no lonely nights of bleeding prayer. All our burdens and our anguish will be lifted at that meeting in the air. Oh, there is going to be a meeting in the air in that sweet, sweet fire. Such singing you will hear, never heard by mortal 
all the skeptics will be absent on that day. Present to disturb us, and the angels will be busy far away. There the saints will have a seal upon their foreheads, dressed in remnant none but ransom ones can wear. All who have the wedding garments will be present at that day in the air. Oh, there is going to be a meeting in the air in that sweet, sweet by and by. Such singing you will hear, never heard by mortal ear. Will be glorious, I to declare. And God's own Son will be the leading one at the in the air. Or there is going to be a meet in the air in that sweet, sweet by and by. There's power in the blood, there's power in the blood. Would you or equal a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. Oh, there is power, power, wonder working out in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, there is power, power. blood of the Lamb. Now would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for cleansing to Calvary's tide. There's wonderful power in the blood. Oh, there is power, power, wonder working out. In the blood of the Lamb, oh, there is power, power, wonder working out in the precious blood of the Lamb. Now would you be wider, much wider than snow? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. In its life-giving flow There's wonderful power in the blood There is power, power Wonder working out In the blood 
service now and uh, let's put it in the key of C let's sing that song Jesus paid it all just before we take uh, some prayer requests to the Lord so Jesus paid it all and all to him my own and sin had left a crimson stain Jesus paid it all, and all to Him I Sin had left a crimson stain, He washed it white as snow. One more time now. For Jesus paid it all. play that softly. I'm just going to run through these uh, fairly quickly here. We do have a couple visitors with us. Uh, Brother Ken and Sister uh, Connie Leonard from West Virginia. We just want to welcome you this evening. Um, But as I mentioned, we do have uh, some uh, special needs this evening. I just want to continue to remember uh, my aunt, uh, Sister Karen. Uh, We just want to pray for her this evening. And uh, we want to remember uh, Sister Tracy Eisenhower, who is uh, recovering this evening, so we just want to remember her, as well as the drums who are not able to be with us. Uh, we also want to uh, continue to remember uh, Brother Johnny Reynolds um, with the different operations he's having to go through and tests and things, so we just want to remember him. Uh, we also want to remember Sister Laura Harwell, who is uh, having back surgery tomorrow as an outpatient surgery, so we just want to remember her this evening. Um, And if you would just continue to remember me over the past couple weeks, I've been dealing with a little bit of uh, 
congestion, bronchitis. I'm getting over it, but every once in a while, it likes to flare up. So just continue to remember me in prayer. And uh, we have many who are not with us, uh, who are traveling or for work or just aren't able to be with us this evening. And I know we all have unspoken prayer requests as well. So just by the lifting of your hand for that need. And um, I believe that is all the prayer requests I have. So if you would just stand with me once again. If I could have Brother Aaron uh, come at this time and pray over these prayer requests. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, this evening because you are faithful, Lord. Father, you are God and your ways are past finding out. Lord, you are not like human beings, oh God. Our our attitude sometimes changes. Our moods, Lord, sometimes changes like the weather. But Father, you remain the same and you are faithful. Lord, on the basis of your word, on the basis of your promise, we have confidence to come before you, Lord. And tonight, Father, we are bringing these prayer requests, oh God. And many of your children that are here, some with lifted up hands and some that could not make it. Father, we are surrendering ourselves to you. Lord, we are lifting our hands as a universal sign of surrender that, Lord, you are able to help us. We cannot help ourselves. We thank you, Father, for the cross. For we know, Lord, that in the, through the power of the cross, we are able to draw from the dividends of what you did for us on Calvary. Father, we are asking, Lord, that you give us faith to accept what you have done for us on Calvary. We commit these needs into your hands. Bless your children and heal the sick and afflicted. We commit the, uh, the, the, the sermon and the minister into your hands. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may have your seats. Let's sing that song, I've Anchored My Soul in the, in the Haven of Rest as uh, Brother Jason Ashdown comes for a special. I've anchored my soul in the Haven of Rest. I'll sail the white seas no finished, uh, we're going to have Brother Ethan come up and sing the special this evening as well. Amen. Well, God bless you. I've always said back east, it's in the water. You all are really good singers. So I drank some of the water and hopefully I can crack a note for you. But this has been a song that's kind of been a theme song for me through the years and so much to thank him for. We have so much to thank him for. Amen. So I just like to sing this. It may be a blessing to you. When I look around and see the good things He has done for me, I know I'm unworthy of them all. But His blessings He freely 
I owe my whole life to Him. I've got so much to thank Him for, and I've got so much to thank Him for, so much to praise Him for. You see, He has been so good to me. When I think of what He's done and where He has brought me from, I've got so much to thank Him for. Sometimes when on life's way I kneel and I stop and say, Thank you, Lord. For all you've done for me And one day I'll reach heaven sure Oh please let me kneel once more I've got so much to thank Him for And I've got so much to thank Him for So much Praise Him for you see He has been so good to me When I think of what He's done and where He has brought me from I've got so much to thank Him for And sometimes well all I swear and I stop and say, thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me. And one day I'll reach heaven sure, oh, please, let me kneel once more. I've got so much to thank Him for. If you know it, sing it with me. And I've got so much to thank Him for. So much to praise Him for, you see, He has been so good to me. When I think of what He's done and where He has brought me from, I've got so much to thank Him for. Amen. Thank you for that. We'll go ahead and have uh, Brother Ethan come at this time as well for his special. Oh. 
Let's have the ushers come forward at this time. We'll take up the tithes and offering. Let's put it in the key of F.
you would pray. sing that song just as Bradbury comes this evening. Lord, prepare me. So Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. you're standing, let's take your Bible tonight and let's look in the scripture. We're going to look in two places, first of all, in Isaiah chapter 2. Let's go there tonight. Isaiah chapter 2, we want to jump right in because we have a number of things that we want to try to talk about tonight. Good to have all of you here tonight and uh, good to have Aaron and Trish back uh, tonight in the homeland. And uh, uh, appreciate them being here. Good to have the Leonards here. And uh, always uh, always good to see Brother Ken and Sister Connie uh, from old times. Good to have them here from West Virginia. Also as well, uh, we're glad to have um, uh, Brother Dennis and Sister Sandra here tonight. God bless you. Great to have you with us tonight and each and every one of you. May the Lord bless you richly. How many of you are glad to be here? Amen. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 1. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. That word there, mountain, refers to kingdom in the original language. So he's prophesying that the kingdom of the Lord's house shall be established. In other words, it will reach beyond just a temple, and it will be exalted above the hills, and nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, or the kingdom of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, 
and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Let's go to the source and he'll teach us. Let's go to the place where he's speaking and we'll learn of his ways and we'll walk in his paths. That's the theme that Isaiah wants to present in that prophecy. Jeremiah chapter 10, if you will, let's go over to one place. We're going to look a number of places in our Bibles tonight. And uh, let's look in Jeremiah, if you will. Jeremiah, the 10th chapter. And let's look at verse 23. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. O Lord, correct me, but with judgment, not in thine anger, lest thou bring me to nothing. May the Lord add his blessing. Now, before you're seated, sorry. Let's have a word of prayer, and if you don't mind, let's remember the needs that we have uh, mentioned uh, already through Brother uh, Mitchell, but we also want to remember Brother Johnny. He's still in the hospital. He's in the step-down unit from intensive care. They want to see him healed completely from the procedure on the weekend and then uh, go back for the surgery because of the stress that they know the surgery will uh, cause in his body. So they want to see him healed and strong before they do that. Also as well uh, with uh, Brother Joe Drum, his white blood cell count was too low for him to do the last infusion. They've given him a series of infusions and that uh, kills those white blood cells. In the natural cycle of things, the white blood cells will come back, uh, but they're still a little bit too low for him to last, have the last uh, infusion. So uh, they're hoping that next week they'll be able to do that. Also as well, Sister Frieda is undergoing testing. Uh, she did an ultrasound uh, today, and the results were good for that. But she has an MRI that's going to follow that one. So we want to remember uh, those needs in prayer especially. Heavenly Father, as we bow in your presence tonight, Lord, it's just a good atmosphere, Lord, to teach your word and to be able to sit at your feet tonight. And Lord, like Isaiah prophesied and like he told the people that the day would come when this would take place, Lord, where people, where believers could gather together and they could go and sit at the feet, the one who knows, so that they could learn. And not only just learn, but they could learn and walk in your ways. And Father, that's our desire tonight is to learn your ways, Lord, not so that we can just know them, but Lord, so that we can walk in them and we can demonstrate Christ to this world. And Father, our responsibility is not to get ourselves out of here, Lord. Our responsibility is to share a little of what heaven is really like in the human life. And so, Father, I pray you just instill these principles in us that we can learn and grow and we can express them to a dying world. And have your way, Lord, among us, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen and amen. You may be seated tonight. God bless you. Sorry for the hesitation there. Now, uh, so we want to remember uh, those uh, needs tonight, and um, as well, I wanted to uh, just let you know that on Sunday night, we're going to have, as, as I mentioned before, we're going to have a second service, and that second service will be part three of the Christian family that I did a long time ago, and we did two parts. <clears throat> this is the third part, and uh, it'll start at four o'clock. And uh, I've sent out in an update about who should go. Uh, if, you're, uh, if you have family, you sh- it's probably good for you to go. If you're a grandparent, it'd probably be good for you to go. Uh, if you're a young person over here, 
uh, or over here. Uh, no, I don't know why they kicked you out, but uh, if, it'd certainly be good for you guys to go to know the language and uh, to understand this because uh, you folk, you young people at your age are moving out. And so you're, you're causing the problem, if you like. Uh, so it would be uh, helpful for you folks as well. So I, in my studies and in my research in dealing with this, uh, children disturb a marriage greatly. They affect the marriage greatly when they come into it and when they go out of it. And uh, I divided this uh, teaching up into three different sections. And the first one is uh, growing towards independence, when we we're raising children towards independence, and then actually letting go, and then what happens next. Uh, after that. So that's uh, just a little brief intro for that on Sunday night. Uh, you're certainly welcome to come. Everyone doesn't have to come, but you're certainly welcome to come and uh, be a part of that for sure. Also as well, I'm going to do something uh, starting next Wednesday night. We're going to do this on the first Wednesday of every month, and that is uh, we're going to have our young people uh, play a larger role in running the service. And they're going to help uh, take up the offering. They're going to help with the music. They're going to help lead the singing. Uh, they're going to be uh, plugged in. All right? So you guys that have talents and gifts, be ready. Uh, we're going to call upon you and sister guys and girls and uh, have them play a larger part on that Wednesday night service. Is that all right? Uh, it'll, be, it'll be wonderful. It'll be a blessing. They'll be, they'll be green. They'll be new. They'll be embarrassed and everything in the beginning of it. But that's all right because that's how we learn. Uh, Brother Joe's going to help me to organize uh, people to fill in different spots here, uh, but it does not hurt for you fellows to learn, uh, you know, how to serve in the in the house of God. And uh, you know, we have uh, excellent uh, musicians and deacons and everything else, sound people. But it doesn't hurt for our young people to get in there and help uh, participate and work in that as well. So we're looking forward to that. We'll begin next Wednesday night. Now, let's take a look uh, again here at uh, Isaiah, and I want to jump in. This is our title tonight, is Seven Things That uh, Adoption Teaches Us. All of us are submitted to or predestinated to the process of adoption, and therefore it's something that we all should understand because we all are going to have to go through it. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'd say we all are going through it. We all are participants in it. And you didn't, you didn't decide uh, to take that course like you would in college. God enrolled you. <laughs> and he said, hey, buddy, I'll meet you in class. And what's in, really interesting about it is that you're the only one in the class. That's really interesting. He's the principal and the teacher, and you're the student. And he likes to make sure that you know, know everything you need to know before you go to the next level. And he's patient enough to stay with you until you get it. And even if you move on and blow it, you can come back to that class again. I mean, he's just an amazing teacher. But there are certain things that God wants you to get. There are certain things that God wants you to know. About 12 years ago, I visited this subject and I've revised a lot of it. I labored over some of this here tonight just to present it uh, in this way. And so uh, we'll, we'll look at some of these seven things. And we're certainly not limited to seven because, uh, you know, there are all kinds of things we learn in the Christian experience. Uh, 
There are all kinds of things we learn in the Christian walk. And it's certainly not limited to seven things. But uh, some of the things are kind of broad, and so therefore they'll encompass a lot of, uh, lot of different things. And I find that, uh, you know, as we develop these, we, uh, we tend to, you know, run out in some of the uh, sub-areas that uh, affect these seven principles. And these are, we're talking about principles here. They're not seven rules. But there are seven principles. There are things that God wants you to know uh, that are not stated like rules, but there are things that, uh, that God wants you to get in your mind and in your heart so that you can live in a way that is according to his word and his will. He wants you to live above the world. He wants you to overcome the world. And uh, that's what we are called to do. But every one of us, every one of us are predestinated to receive the spirit of adoption that we might grow and that we might mature. And that's what God's looking for is mature sons and daughters. Isn't that right? Amen. I appreciate the feedback that I got on Sunday and after Sunday. And not only from you folks here, but uh, from the many people that are listening online. And we have a, 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 a wonderful group that are listening online tonight. Uh, but there, one of the things I was talking about was that idea of a mature church that God is looking for. This glorious church. It has uh, characteristics about it. Well, we want to step back a little bit from that and look at some of these principles that God wants us to get. So we'll come to them in a moment, all right, the seven things. But before that, let's deal a little bit with the subject of adoption so that uh, we're familiar with the idea. I know most of you are, but let's just review it so that we can proceed here as we get to the seven. And then I'll give you an example of things that he teaches us, all right? Is that all right? Everybody Okay. All right, I'll try not to keep you long here, so uh, let's, let's look at this together here. Now, as we read in our text here, uh, the idea that uh, God sets up a place and wants people to come to it so that he can teach and he can speak and he can uh, express his, his mind and his heart, uh, I mean, that began in the Garden of Eden. That began from the very beginning, didn't it? God made a beautiful place, and he, he was, his presence was there, and he wanted his son and daughter to live there and to uh, live their lives from that place. And so this idea, this idea is not foreign when we think about the mind of God. And then uh, Isaiah prophesies and says, uh, and this is what he says, it'll come to pass in the last days. So in the last days specifically, he says, we will, we will hear him teach his ways. And I will have to say that God has done a great job in voicing his ways in this last day. But now it comes to us walking in those ways. Now this is the time when we need to take what we learn and put it into motion. So it's no good for us to just sit in here and sit in here and sit in here and sit in here. There's no good for us to do that over and over again. God wants you to sit here and express. Sit here and live. Sit here. Not sit here. Sit here and live. Good to have the Stevenses back. Sit here and go live. Sit here and go witness. Sit here and be a witness. Sit here and teach. God wants you to teach your children. Do you believe that? Like God wants me to hear and teach. God wants you as parents to hear and teach. God wants us all to uh, listen to what we hear and then go make things right that we need to go make right. He needs us to, uh, to be able to stand and uh, to be able to boldly express God's word in a world that doesn't want to hear God's words expressed, period. But that's, that's the heart of God and that's what he wants to do. 
So Brother Branham said, uh, the disciples said one time after Jesus had done so many works, they said, Lord, now we believe. And Jesus said, well, do you, do you now believe? And they said, well, we believe that thou knowest all things and need that no man teach thee. So, Father, tonight we realize that you don't need our teaching, but we need yours. And everybody said, so we pray that you'll teach us how to pray, how to live, and how to believe. I get a lot of criticism because, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, I, I teach as a pastor. And uh, it's funny that I would get a lot of criticism for that because that, Brother Branham said we need more of that. That's what he said. We need more of that. And so here's Brother Branham praying that the Holy Spirit would help us to, to know how to pray, know how to live, know how to believe. The disciples of Jesus look at Jesus and they said, teach us to pray. And, and they, they, they looked at Jesus and they said, help us, help our unbelief. And, and so this is, this is a, a part of the leadership that God provides to the body of Christ. And he says, granted, Lord, through this service, if we lack anything, give it to us, Lord. We ask it in your name. And that's a great way for us to pray. <clears throat> so we are reading here that this Bible is of no private interpretation. God forbid that I, your servant... Or any other servant would ever try to put their own interpretation to the word. Let us just read it and believe it the way it is written. And especially we shepherds of the flock, pastors who someday will gather in that glorious land with the little flocks. And will stand in the presence of the Lord and Lord Jesus, and see that generation come up of Paul and Peter and Luke and Matthew and all of them, and see them judge there with their groups. So the way we're all going to get there is that we, we have the right kind of faith. Isn't that true? The way we get there is that we're all going to have the right kind of faith. And the only way we're going to have the right kind of faith is that we hear the right things. Because faith comes by hearing. And the only way we're going to have that is that you're in the right place that God's ordained for you to be hearing the thing that God wants you to hear. Stay with me. And I believe that uh, this, this people that are predestinated to be there, uh, they're gonna, I believe that God's going to place them under a ministry and ministries that are going to teach the people the right thing without interpretation, without a misemphasis. And by misemphasis, I mean uh, either a wrong emphasis or an overemphasis or even an underemphasis. If God gets excited about something, I think we should. And if God doesn't make a big deal out of something, I don't think we should. I think we should emphasize it correctly, and I think that we should uh, make sure that we don't put our own interpretation to it. And that's a, uh, that's a hard thing uh, sometimes, but may God help us to do that, especially as shepherds. And you should pray that uh, God, uh, the Holy Spirit, restrains me as well. Now, the believer's position in Christ. All I'm doing is warming you up here before we get to these things here. Now, for a few moments, Brother Branham said to find out uh, positionally, what we are in Christ. That's what we want to do tonight. That's what he's telling the people. We want, for a few moments, we want to talk about uh, positionally where we are in Christ Jesus. The title of this sermon is The Believer's Position in Christ. And I think if the church can now find out what they are and how to enter and what to do after they enter, why it'll be a glorious thing when we learn these things. Don't you think so? So there's a way for us to conduct ourselves. There's a way for us to live and believe as we approach that glorious place. And he says that we want to find out what they are. And we want to find out how to enter. And we want to find out what to do after we enter. And he said it will be a glorious thing when all these things come into view. 
So he's, he's, he's priming the people in this little series here in the believer's position in Christ that, uh, you know, there are things that God wants to teach you and impart to you because we're entering into a glorious place. Now, again, I've mentioned this, that all of us are predestinated unto the adoption of children by Christ Jesus to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. This is God's decision. And this is what he wants to do. This is what he wants to have. To the praise and glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. This is God's choosing from before the foundation of the world, according to verse 4, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. If we could just be born again, and if we could, uh, and, and let me just say this correctly, that if we could just go through the experience of the new birth and then be left alone to become perfect, God would have arranged it that way. We would not certainly bother coming together. We'd not certainly, certainly we wouldn't, uh, you know, be, uh, we, we wouldn't be going through many of the things we're going through in the learning process. It's all in the seed. We know that. When God, when God uh, you know, plants the, the seed word, the seed gene in a young man or a young woman, uh, it, it, it begins to come to life. But we all learn things by what we suffer and what we experience. We all learn the experience of letting go things, right? Some of you have a past that still affects you today. Some of you have memories and scars that still affect you today. And so part of our experience is letting go of the past and overcoming those things. Some of those things are not easy. Some of those things, some of us experience disappointments and failures in life. Some of us, uh, you know, all of a sudden are exposed with realities about, about uh, problems that we have. People may consider you to be a very proud person or they may consider you to be a very unfriendly or whatever else. And all of a sudden we're confronted with the truth of how people see us. And you know what? We realize I got to change. I got to change that. And that, that's a shocking reality sometimes. There, it's like going to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, your numbers are not good. But I thought they were good, but they're not good. But I feel good, but it doesn't matter. Your numbers are not good. You're faced with the shocking reality that you've got to do something about this, even if you don't feel like it. And in, and, and in the same way, God has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be a certain way. And he's predestinated us to the process that gets us to be that way. Let me, let me paraphrase it again. This is verse 4 and 5 according to my, my version of the Bible, okay? <laughs> After I just read the quote about not interpreting the Bible, right? Uh, uh, interpreting the word. All right, let's say it this way. I'm just paraphrasing. Relax. It was just humor. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Because he wants us to live and act a certain way. And so he predestinates us unto the process. Because adoption is a process of bringing children from boys to manhood and girls to to womanhood. So that he can present to himself a glorious church without spot and wrinkle. So there is a process we go through. There are things we learn. There are things we change. There are things we add to our experience. Our faith grows. We're not born with all kinds of faith. Our faith grows. We, we're not born with all uh, knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom, we, we, sometimes we need to ask for it. We need to ask for it liberally because we don't have all we need. 
And there are situations that you've faced in life, and I know some of you have, where you need, I'm, I'm at the end of my wisdom. I'm at the end of my smarts. And I need help here. And you realize, Lord, unless you come in and help, I'm stuck. I'm right where I, 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 ha, I don't have an answer for this. And there are decisions that we need to make about who to marry and where we go to church and should I go to college and all the other things, should I leave home and all the other things that happen to us in life. And we need to have wisdom. We need to have leadership of the Holy Spirit. We're not born knowing everything. We're not born understanding everything. We learn those things as we grow and as we mature. So Brother Branham says that Bible teaching is usually a little treacherous. It's kind of walking on thin ice. But we feel at this time it might be good to bring the church to a complete understanding positionally of what we are in Christ Jesus. I hope by now we are more understanding of what we are in Christ Jesus than what we were, what we understood when we began this walk. Right? Because we're members of the bride of Christ. We have eternal life. And I think preaching is a wonderful thing. But I believe sometimes, Brother Beeler, teaching goes beyond that, especially to the church. So especially to you. Especially to believers here. We're not, we're not uh, evangelistic. Uh, we're not taking an evangelistic uh, direction tonight. And, and this is what Brother Branham's telling his people. He said, now to the church, he said, it's good for us to teach. Preaching usually catches a sinner. It's certainly a place for that catching the sinner and it brings them under condemnation by the word but teaching places a man positionally what he is and we can never rightly be able to have faith until positionally we know what we are it'd be just like joseph down in egypt and standing on the on the throne second in command in all of egypt to, to pharaoh and wondering well am i supposed to be here or should i be somewhere else you know, should I be up in Israel or should I, should I be here? I, but he knew exactly this was the place that God had for him, right? And he knew exactly this was the role that he was to play. So teaching and the, the revelation of the, of the Holy Spirit that he brings to a man, it helps us to understand, hey, this is, what I, this is who I am. This is what I am. This is what I'm supposed to be. I'm not ashamed of it. God helped me to be good at it. If God's called me to be this, let me be good at it. I think there should be a, a cry in every heart. If you're a teenager, say, God, help me to be the best teenager in this church. Amen. Help me to be a, a clean living and a righteous and a fervent and an on-fire teenager. And let me, let me be all in with all I have or God take me off the earth. That's the kind of teenagers we want. If I'm to be a mother or a father, God help me to be a good mother. And a good father and a good, uh, you know, a good example and a leader in my home. Lord, help me to be that. If what, whatever I'm called to be, then Lord, help me to be that. That's exactly what he's saying right here. And teaching helps us to understand our, our, our uh, boundaries. Teaching helps us to understand our rights. Teaching helps us to understand what pleases God. Teaching helps us to understand what we should be doing and what God can be doing in our lives. And... I will tell you something that, uh, for instance, just as an example here, uh, I am not my children's savior, and I never have been. I'm not their savior. The Holy Spirit is the savior. He's the one who died on the cross. He's the one that paid the price for their sins. And they've got to come to him for salvation, not me. But I do have another responsibility, and that is in my house to say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And so I help create an atmosphere in which the Holy Spirit's always welcome to come and deal with any one of our children at any point in time. 
And that begins with a marriage relationship and then all the way down, percolates down to the relationships you have with your children. And so therefore, uh, knowing my position and knowing what I'm called to do and knowing what I'm not called to do, those things are important. And all those things come, as Brother Bram says, through Bible teaching. And Brother Branham says it like this. He said, uh, he tore the body of Jesus apart, taking the spirit, lifted up the body to the right hand of the throne of God, and sent down the other part, the part he tore out, the spirit, upon us, which is called the Holy Spirit. And the very life that was in Christ. So if this is Christ, if this is, and he's just using the analogy, if this is Christ, and all God was, he poured into Christ, and God did this at Calvary, And kept the physical representation. I like to refer to it as representation. He kept the physical representation in one dimension. Gave the other dimension to his church. You know what? He's got a part of Christ. No matter where he goes and no matter what he does, he's got a part of Christ. I've got this other part. Brother Bram's saying that he, 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 he tore Christ in two. And he said, the very life that was in Christ is in you that shows that he's your redeemer. Put that in your pocket there, if you don't mind, sir. Put it in your pocket. Now he's got Christ in him. He's got Christ on the inside, right? And if I give that to any one of you, if I imparted that to any one of you, and your parents didn't give you that, I gave you that, right? And, and if I give that to any one of you, you've got a portion of the life of Christ in you. And he's adopted you, Brother Branham said. He's adopted you unto God. And now we are sons and daughters of God with the Spirit of Christ. So now it's no longer the spirit of Sawyer there now that we're dealing with. God sees him. God sees his own life in Sawyer. When God looks at him, he knows that life is inside. And he sees that life first. Brother Branham said he doesn't even see your mistakes. As long as they're under the blood. I think that's a glorious thing. He doesn't even see your mistakes if they're under the blood. Because when God looks at him, he's looking for that yellow paper. He's looking for a part of himself. And when he sees that, he says, how can I judge that? How can I condemn that? That's my life. That's my token that's on display. And no matter where he goes, and no matter what he does, and no matter what he faces, and no matter what mistake he makes, and no matter what country he goes to, no matter who he marries or whatever else, he's still got that token on the inside. Isn't that right? That's what God's looking for, folks. He's got that. He's got it because God gave it to him. And I'm God here, in case you're wondering. And I gave it to him, and I imparted that to him. And he didn't earn it. He didn't uh, ask his folks for it. I gave it to him out of my own plan and purpose and my predestinated mystery for the body of Christ. I gave it to him. And now that he's got it, and if he's got eternal life, let me tell you, I know he'll be there in the last day. He's got eternal life. He's got it on the inside. I've seen it. I gave it to him. I know it's there. And you know what? You may all, you may all back there, you never saw what he put in his pocket. You never saw how he put, tucked that in there. And you may, he might walk out and go to, uh, you know, go to uh, Cracker Barrel after here. It was not open. Or go to uh, the gas station after here and be among people that are total strangers there. And they look at him and don't know what he possesses. It's a shame, but they don't know what he possesses at all. But in reality, he's got eternal life. He's got the life of God on the inside. Everywhere he goes, everything he does, you want to make sure you don't grieve that. Don't grieve that. You respect that. You value that. Because that's a very powerful and important thing.
And Brother Bram said, or uh, he said, he's adopted you into that process. And so here's uh, Galatians chapter 4. And this is the scripture where Paul describes, he said, Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, he differs nothing from a servant. That's an amazing thing. A child, and he could be a child of the king. He could be a child of the, of the boss. He could be a child of, uh, you know, a very powerful man. But he differs nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. Because you know why? He's still referred to as a child. And what do you not give children uh, very freely when they're children? We don't give them uh, a lot of responsibility, right? We don't give them a lot of money to access. We don't give them the car keys. Uh, we don't give them, now I'm looking at you in a different way. And, and we, don't, we don't give him uh, a lot of responsibilities that he's, he's got to carry out particular jobs there. He, and we're not going to consult him when it comes to decisions. We're not going to have, uh, you're not going to have your two-year-old sit down and say, hey, listen, I got a job offer here and I got a job offer here. What do you think? I mean, what's your, what, uh, tell me your gut. What do, you, what do you think here? We don't do that with our two-year-olds. We don't, we don't, we don't interact with them in the same way as we do with adults but we don't do that with servants either we don't go to servants and say uh you know i've got i got two job offers here or we think we'll sell the farm and buy a bigger farm and so forth the master doesn't confer with slaves or servants this way and we're talking in biblical terms here now and he says a child is on that category let me tell you something when i was a servant of sin God did not lay on my heart sermons. He didn't invest in me when I was out in the world. He didn't invest in me the word of life to give to people. He didn't invite me to travel around the world and minister to people because you know what? I was a dumb teenager who did lots of dumb things and I had a black belt in stupid. And you know what? God's a whole lot smarter than me, and he would not invest in me precious things until, you know what? I turned from being a servant of sin and became a son of God, a true son of God. Now God begins to invest certain things. Now he knows what's already laid in me, but now he's starting to invest certain things. Now he's starting to, he's calling me to do this and calling me to do that and inviting me to do this and bringing me into his plan. Now I know, by God's grace, now I know a lot more about his plan for me than I did way back there. And God did not give me the whole shebang back there. He gave me a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. That's how he reveals himself. And so, verse 2, this son is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Or in other words, until the father sees what he wants to see in that son. And even so, we, when we were children, were in the bondage under the elements of the world. Right? In denominationalism, or you're in sin, or whatever else. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. How many are glad you're redeemed? Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. We are sons of the living God. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So God redeems his children to bring them into this process. He redeems them that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And, and when we say Abba, Father, in other words, the language is saying, it's not just, Lord, I know you exist. And Lord, I know who you are. But we're also saying, Lord, make me like you. Lord, show me your ways. Teach me the kingdom ways. 
And when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray, isn't that what he taught them? He said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus said, You want to have your life match what goes on in that kingdom? And therefore you are no more, you are no more a servant but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God uh, through Christ. And so you can see the process. God doesn't deal with us when we were uh, like now, as we, as, as God does not deal with us today in your experience the way he did back then. When I came in the message, when I first came to understand, when I first walked in any light at all, I knew that God had sent a prophet. And I knew that just about everything I believed was wrong. And that was it. I didn't hardly know anything what was right. I only knew really what was wrong. And a lot of what was wrong was right here. And that's about the first revelation that I had. So adoption brings us, here's the definition. Adoption brings us into a new kind of relationship. We're no longer servants, but sons, right? According to Galatians chapter 1. It means giving to one to a privilege of a son. Like Pharaoh's daughter taking Moses out of the river and now she has a son. He, he's, he's got privileges. He, he's able to live in the palace. He's got uh, certain, you know, certain blessings that just because Pharaoh's uh, daughter adopted him. And there are certain things that he has just by virtue of this adoption. Now that's a natural case. An act of God's grace in the spiritual by which he brings men into proper position in his redeemed family and makes them partakers of all the blessings he has provided for them. Aren't you glad Brother Branham went through the process of adoption and came into his right place? If he had not come into his right place, then we would not have all of what we have today. Adoption teaches a new relationship into which the believer is introduced by justification and the believers are connected therewith. So this is exactly what uh, adoption does. It, it creates, if you like, a new kind of relationship. Let's just jump for a moment here and look at what adoption teaches us. Here are some of these items, okay? Not all, but here are some. Number one, your faith must be perfect. Adoption teaches us that God is faithful. The Holy Spirit teaches us that God's word is true. And our faith in that must be perfect. It must not be partial, but it's got to be perfect. The second thing is that the bride will eventually learn the Father's way. Because that's always the right way, isn't it? The right way is the Father's way. And the bride eventually learns. We get around to admitting. We finally say, Father, let your will be done, not mine. And that's what adoption brings us to. That can be a simple thing in terms of adjusting, uh, but it can also uh, be a a life-changing event, that's for sure. We also learn that stewardship, sorry, that God does have a predestinated plan. God does have a predestinated plan, and that predestinated plan is going to come to pass. Also, we believe that uh, one of the things that the Holy Spirit teaches us is stewardship and how to be the best kind of a steward we have, we, we can be. We are stewards over money. We often talk about that. But we are stewards over our time. We're stewards over the things God's put in our hands, like our children. We are stewards over our households. We are stewards over everything that God's given to you that can be taken from you. Stewardship matters. 
In order to get more from God, we have to handle correctly what God's already given us. That's how to get more from God. Love and forgiveness is one of the things that adoption teaches us. Love and forgiveness. And the truth alone will set you free. The truth alone will set you free. And finally, marriage and family really do matter. They matter because they're a reflection of the spiritual relationship. So these are seven. Again, it's not a complete list, but it is, uh, it's kind of encompassing a lot of different principles in life. So therefore... Brother Branham says in adoption, he says, that's where the believer comes. He comes first to a recognition that he's a sinner. These are the steps here. Stay with me now because we want to take one little example here. He comes first to a recognition that he's a sinner. And then he's separated by the waters, the washing of the water by the word, and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first step. And then being justified by faith, he becomes a partaker and at peace with God through Christ. Baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to admit, to admit him into the journey. You get it? He says, into the journey. So when, when you begin, it, it's, it's you're thrust into, if you like, thrust into a moving river. That there's something already in motion here and you're thrust into that. And then he becomes a sojourner and a pilgrim and he's on his journey to what? He said a promise that God made. We move towards the fulfillment of promises that God has made, Right? And, and that's, that's, that's the, the journey that Brother Bram describes. I love talking about that journey because it affects us all. And we all have uh, different experiences along the way. It's amazing how God can ordain every, every one of us to be on a journey. But we're all not doing the same things. Yeah. And, and God can uh, tailor your journey because he wants you to experience a certain thing. You look at Brother Branham's life. He's born, uh, you know, he's born in Kentucky. And he's born to this kind of a father who, uh, you know, was a fellow, certain, a fellow who certainly had a temper. And he had, uh, you know, a unique personality, that's for sure. And uh, God chooses this man uh, to be the initial influence in Brother Branham's life, him and his, him and his mother. And then, uh, you know, Brother Branham's path, you know, leads him in the way that he did. I mean, that's not been my path. That's not the way I grew up. That's not the way I lived in my early years. And, and, and you can all relate to uh, different parts of the journey in your life. But every one of us are on a journey. The interesting thing is that every one of us are moving towards a promise to be fulfilled that one day we shall all be in the same place. And Brother Bram said when a pastor or a shepherd takes that flock across the finish line, he said we'll all, be, we'll all wind up in the same place and we'll all be believing the right thing. So here's what I wrote. That God is not only interested in you making it through your journey to your destination. He is interested in that. But he's not only interested in that. But that you also fulfill fully the specific purpose he has designed for you in this life. If God wants you to preach, by George, he's probably got a reason for you to preach. And he's probably got a congregation for you to preach too. And he's probably got, uh, you know, things that he wants to tell the world through you. And he's raised you up a certain way to accomplish that. And therefore, there's a lot of teaching and instruction that needs to go on. And in the same way that children develop into young adults, to mature adults, so do we in the faith. The Bible definition of adoption is the process through which sons and daughters develop the father's character on their way to maturity. Everybody say amen. That's, that's uh, kind of a summary here of what we want to do. All right, take your Bible then. Let's go to Matthew 19. 
For those of you that think you don't need to change, let me show you an example of how Jesus confronted things in his day that seemed to be pretty... Pretty straightforward. But one thing about Jesus' gift and Jesus' ministry, he was never fooled by the way the Pharisees and the religious people quoted the word. Most often when they argued with him, they quoted the word. But thus saith, this is what Moses said, and this is what this prophet said. And, and Jesus was never fooled by that or intimidated by that because he always understood why they were using that particular approach, why they were actually saying those things. This is one of those classic chapters here. Now, we won't get to look at all of it. But let's look in Matthew chapter 19, the first couple of verses here. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coasts of Judea beyond Jordan. And a great multitude followed him, and he healed them there. It's a beautiful place. And he healed them there. And the Pharisees also came to him, tempting him, and they said unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Now, when you go and try to research this, if you research this in the, uh, in the market, most people interpret these next verses here as a teaching on marriage and divorce. And it really was not. Even though Jesus refers to this, I'm going to just kind of stand back here and look at it uh, this, this evening here. When Brother Branham taught a marriage and divorce, he didn't come back to here in Matthew chapter 19 specifically. But I want you to watch. This is the question they put to him. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which has made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. And wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let, no man, let not man put asunder. Okay, no argument with that. But, they said, Why did Moses then, in verse 7, give the commandment then to, to uh, sorry, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away. And he saith unto him, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be uh, for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away, doth commit adultery. And his disciples said unto him, if the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. I mean, we probably shouldn't get married at all. And he said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. For there are some eunuchs which were born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. And there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And he that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Whoa. Now let's look at this verse, this little section, okay? This is only a portion of the chapter, but let's kind of look at the breakdown. 
When they came to him tempting him, they said, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? You know what he gave him? It was God's ideal. The first thing he did was give him God's ideal. Let's go back and find out what God originally said. That's a good thing. Let's go back to the scripture and find out what he said. And he quotes Genesis chapter 2. And he says unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them, the creator, this was the mind of the creator expressed back in the Garden of Eden here. And he said, A man and a woman shall leave their father and mother, and they shall become one flesh. And they shall be no more twain, but they shall be considered one. It's interesting. The word there for marriage is kadushin. And in the Greek, that means that uh, marriage is like a gift. And that's the way Jesus is talking to them. A, a gift that is consecrated. Now, remember when they, in the Old Testament, when they took a, a lamb. They didn't just take a lamb out of the yard and throw it up on the altar. They washed that lamb. There had to be no blemishes. You remember that? And it had to be a perfect lamb, right age, right size, and so forth. And they prepared it. And then when they did, then they presented it to God. And it was dedicated as an offering to God. It was something that was exclusively his possession. And this was the word that Jesus uses here when he says that uh, when a, uh, in the beginning, God's intent was that a man should leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one. And, and they, they can't be put asunder. So in the same way... In the same way that you pay your tithes and it becomes a part of now, that's God's money. That becomes something that is entirely owned and operated by God, right? Now, people handle it, obviously. But when we give a gift, we give it and we consecrate that portion of our income. We give it to God. It's God's now. And we can't, we can't go back and separate that out. In the same way, a consecrated gift of husband and wife to one another that was the intent that God had. You can't go back and separate that out. That the intent was that God would have a man and a woman that would come together. And ideally, ideally, and again, now we're talking about principles. We're not talking about rules here. But ideally, that man and wife would be together and they would be considered one flesh, not two. But God wanted them to stay together forever. Hey, now we don't live in an ideal world, all right? So I'm not... I'm not Picking on, you know, different marriage situations here. I'm just, I'm just telling you what Jesus said. And what Jesus said is that the idea that God intended in the very beginning was that a man would consecrate or give himself to his wife. A wife would give, himself to her, give herself to her husband and they would become one. And it would become so one over time. Not just for one thing. Not just for the intimate part, but now for everything. That's the idea that God intended. When we see, use this word kedushin here, it means that uh, every, everything that they do now, they do together. It's not two uh, people who have the same last name and sleep in the same bed, but they have two different lives altogether. That's not kedushin. That's not, that's not what God intended. Now, I might have... I might have a hobby or an interest in something. My, uh, my, you know, I, I love to haul lumber around and uh, work on it and, you know, shape it and so forth. My wife doesn't like that at all. She just likes to put in orders and say, I'd like to have this built and that built and something else. But she doesn't like to get out in the shop and get all dusty and so forth. She would like to be up in her sewing room and working, working with fabrics and so on. And for me, I'm just like, God bless you, sister. Have a wonderful day. I mean, we have different interests, and that's, you know, that's just, that's just the way. And that, that's not what we're talking about. When, when a man has another life, and a woman has another life, and they're, they're, they, they live two very separate lives, 
that's the opposite of what God intended. And that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus is speaking about here. So God's ideal, all I'm saying is that God's ideal in the very beginning was that a man and a wife would be as one. Their hearts would beat as one. And they would live and love together all the days of their life. Raise their children, raise their families, grow old together. They would be forever. But the legalist perspective says, but Moses then commanded us to give a writing of divorcement. Put her away. They're holding on to the legal part. They're holding on to this idea that, but there's got to be an out. There's got to be a way I can get out of this if I don't, if I don't want to carry on. If I don't want to work at the relationship. And how many of you married people would agree that every relationship takes some work? It takes some give and take. It takes some compromise, right? Are we okay? All the married folks are, know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, the unmarried folks are all saying, not the girl I'm going to marry because she's going to be perfect. But I will tell you something, that every relationship takes, takes sitting down and talking through things. Every relationship has a give and take. Every relationship has its rough spots. And, uh, I mean, that's just human nature. But there are, there are people who don't want to work at that, right? There are people who don't want to have uh, somebody trying to correct them. There are people who don't want to have, uh, you know, to have the uh, going the extra mile for their husband and wife. They don't want to do that at all. They, they want to be able to reach outside anytime they want to. And so Moses, they bring up this commandment where Moses says, you can have a writing of divorcement. Now, Jesus comes in this third part and gives another perspective. And he saith unto them, Moses did that because of the hardness of your hearts. He suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. It's not God's ideal. And I say unto you, that whosoever puts away his wife for the wrong reason, and whosoever marries another that's put away, and so forth. You know, this situation just gets worse and worse and worse as we go on here. And that's not God's ideal. And Jesus is making sure that this only was, Moses only said those things in the law here, and this is what these guys are capitalizing on. And this is exactly, uh, you know, the, the, the way that you fellows like it, because you have an out. In verse 13. No, I'm sorry. In verse 7, they said unto him, well, uh, I'm sorry. I've got all my Bible verses marked up here. In verse 10, his disciples said unto him, if the case of the man be so with his wife, is it not good to marry? Notice who's asking Jesus this question. It's the disciples. Because the disciples heard all of their life, they heard all their years in the synagogue, that unhappy marriages were not necessary to be tolerated. They had sayings among them, and the Pharisees had those sayings among themselves, which meant that a bad wife, and this is one of their sayings, a bad wife is like leprosy to her husband. Let him divorce her and be cured of the leprosy. They also said, if a man has a bad wife, it's his religious duty to divorce her. A man does not have to pay for his sins when he dies if he's married to a bad wife because he's lived through that torment all the years of his marriage. Hey, folks, I'm not making these things up. These are the things that puzzle these disciples because that's what they'd heard all their lives. But we thought that if we had any reason, we could give up our, give up our wives. We could, we could go marry another. We could divorce one and go marry another one. 
And if, if we interpreted my, our wife's actions as something that's undesirable, we could just leave her, give her a writing of divorce, and we could go off and marry another one. And this was the problem that they brought to Jesus. And when the disciples came to him and asked him that question, they said, is it lawful for a man to put away uh, his wife for every cause? Because that's what they were doing. Whenever they found fault with, your, with the wife, whenever they found fault with one another, hey, that was grounds for divorce. Off I go. I'm going to marry another one. And that's what they were living back in that day. Now, look, you guys. Hold it. Let me get your attention, fellas. Don't get any ideas here. But this is actually the question that they're asking because this is the practice and this is what their teachings had evolved into. And it all evolved into, into what it did because of the hardness of their heart, not because of what God intended. But they're looking at that, well, that's the way it is. I mean, that's the way we do it in our church. That's the way, that's the way it's taught. That's the way it's talked about. That if a woman is a bad woman and we consider her to be a bad woman, then my goodness, that's like having a disease. You want to operate and cut that off and let her go and be free of that. And Jesus attacks that full on. And he says, hey, only because of the hardness of your hearts did Moses even say that. But that was not what God's intention was. God's intention was for you to come together and to learn and to grow and to uh, give and take and to put up with one another in sickness and in health and in good times and in bad, right? And richer and in poorer times and all the other seasons of marriage that you go through. And Jesus is telling them in the last perspective here, and as you carry on down through the reading of the chapter, there is no way that you're going to be able to live a Christian marriage and be able to fulfill the requirement that God intended in the first place without Christ. And he said, all men cannot receive this. But I'm telling you that we're coming into a season where I will not only be with you, but I'll be in you. And when I'm in you, it'll change the way you look at forgiveness. It'll change the way you look at your spouse. It'll change the way you look at marriage. It'll change all of those aspects of it. And you're not going to be dealing by law then. You're going to be dealing with the principles that the Holy Spirit teaches, like forgiveness and love and understanding and kindness. Because I'll tell you what, every Christian marriage needs to have kindness and forgiveness and compassion and unconditional love. Come on, somebody say amen. It needs to have those things. Every Christian family needs to have love and forgiveness and patience and, for, and all the other aspects of it. And I'll tell you what, that's a hard thing to do unless you have Christ in you. But Jesus is saying that you're not going to be able to do this without me. But I, one day, folks, I'll come back and we will be able to live that kind of a, an ideal that the Father had in the beginning. We'll be able to live the way that Jesus taught. And now, hey, listen, in our marriage, sorry, in our culture now, uh, the way it is, I mean, people divorce and they have all kinds of uh, arrangements in marriage and people, you know, uh, all all kinds of uh, uh, breakups and all kinds of contracts and all kinds of uh, temporary marriages and all, all the other things that are there. And you'd have to admit that the stigma that's related to divorce is pretty much dissipated So that people will say, well, hey, if you're not happy in marriage, just leave that person, go find another one. 
And we've almost come back to the same kind of a way. Let me tell you something. Even if society approves of it, and even if society uh, endorses it wholesale, and even if society has all kinds of avenues out of a marriage, God's ideal in the beginning is not the way people are living today. And the only way, to me, the only way we can really fulfill what God intended in the beginning for a man to wife to become one is through Christ. And some people, as he says about the eunuchs here, some people are made for some things and some people are made for other things here. But he that is able to receive it, he said, let him receive it. There will come a day when I will come and I will minister to you in a way that you don't know, that, that you don't understand at this particular point. And at that time, it won't be just a legalistic decision, but your heart will be turned to the Father's way. And when it's turned to the Father's way, you know what? I tell my boys, I never made a vow to you. You've been given to us temporarily in our lives. Your children are given to us temporarily. They seem like they're going to be around forever, but I got news for you. They're not. They're going to be gone. And they'll eventually find a a mate of their own, and it'll eventually be gone. And it's pretty impossible to stop that process. But at the end of the day, the one I made a vow to, that's the one I'm committed to. And really, it should be God first, spouse second, child third. The only way, the only way that a husband and wife can fulfill the Genesis 2.24 ideal that Jesus talks about, the only way we carry on through life, the only way we can stay together and learn to forgive one another and love one another unconditionally with all of our mistakes and our flaws and our failing health and all the other, uh, all the other weaknesses that we have. The, let me tell you, say to God, I'm glad that I have Christ. I'm glad my wife has Christ. I'm glad that we're able to go through uh, whatever season of life, just like we went through the other seasons, but to go through this season of life uh, together. And I'll tell you what, at the end of the day, I'll give all the glory to him. And Jesus is saying, hey, the, the, the ideal that God had is not a legalistic one. There's, no, there's, no, uh, there's not enough divorces that are going to give you true happiness on this earth. The only real peace you'll have is in Christ. And Jesus said, I'm here to give it to you. Your way is not the right way. Your way is not God's intended way. Your way is the way of, of the Father at the beginning. The sooner we learn the Father's way, the better off we'll be. Let's stand on our feet. And Jesus is signaling to them that this adoption process will begin. This learning of the Father's way will begin. But part of the thing you have to do is to let go of the old ways of your thinking. Because your old ways of thinking are not right. He told the Pharisees and the Sadducees, your old ways are not right. And so therefore, we're going to change that. We're going to deal with that. And it won't be divorce at every turn. It won't be separation at every turn. It'll be learning to love and love like we should. Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise. Let's sing that this evening here, man. Let's sing it low enough so we can all get it together. Amazing grace shall always be my 
Father, we pause, Lord, at the end of our service tonight and give thanks, Lord, because you care enough about all of us that you enroll us in this process of adoption so that we can learn the Father's way. And Lord, as old as some of us are, Lord, we're still learning the Father's way. And Father, every one of us, every son and daughter of God, we have a desire, Lord, to get things right. We have a desire, Lord, to perform in such a way and to live in such a way and speak in such a way that you'd be pleased, Lord, with our actions. And you'd be able to point people to us. You'd be able to bring people into our lives who we could affect. And Lord, we're so thankful that you care enough about us, that you, you, want, us make, you want to make us kingdom ready. You want to make us, Lord, totally prepared for that time when we cross over into that land. Have your way, we pray. Lord, may this process, Lord, may we, as we become aware of it, Lord, and we see how it's working in our lives, Lord, may it make every one of us ready to take that final step. Prepare our hearts, Lord, we pray. Forgive us of the things we hold on to that we should never be holding on to, but the things, Lord, that we should let go. May we just let them go. And Father, put our hands up and just let you take us the last steps of the way. We want to get things right. Have your way, Lord, we pray. Minister to those who are sick, Lord, we pray, and especially Sister Laura tonight. Father, we commit her into your hands for a procedure tomorrow and ask, dear Lord, that you would just be with the doctors and nurses and guide them, I pray, through the procedure, Lord. And may Sister Laura receive real relief, healing, and, Lord, real victory over this problem. We commit her to you. Lord, for Brother Johnny, again, Lord, and Father, you, you have a purpose and a plan in everything that you do, Lord, and your ways are not our ways, but Father, we know that you always have a plan that works, and so we'll, we'll go with that, Lord, and we'll just entrust him again into your hands. Give him that healing touch that he needs, and bless Sister Doris as well, we pray, in Jesus' lovely name and for your glory. I have a maker, and he knows my name. Let's sing that tonight as you go. God bless you. We'll see you on the weekend. I have a maker.
before even time began. My life was in His hands. He knows my name, and He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls, and He hears me when I call. Sing it as you go tonight. God bless you. Sing that chorus again. Oh.